like there's there's one shot and so if you have the privilege to look back a week from now or 10 years from now will you be pleased with how you spent your season hi we are colleen and colleen and we have made it our mission to spread kindness and make everyone feel like they belong So each week we will share real life stories, motivating insights, and helpful tips that will inspire you to live a kinder, happier life. We believe that together we can make the world a much better place. Are you in? I'm in. Let's do this. Welcome to the You Fit Here podcast. Hi, Becky. Hi, Colleen. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. I'm excited to talk with you today. I am so excited. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story with our audience. Absolutely. We know you're going to be such an inspiration for everybody. So for our audience, Becky is here to talk all about her life, her story, her own story, and her husband's story, who was diagnosed with testicular cancer in 2017 and passed away just about a year after in 2018. Um. Becky, I want you to jump right in and take us to the day he received his diagnosis. Yes. So like you said, it was January 2017, so about two years ago, uh, actually almost three years ago. And I was working at home that day and doing some graphic design work, actually. And Darren booked the appointment because he had not been feeling well over the holidays. He started feeling kind of crummy. November, December for sure. And we actually thought that he just threw his back out lifting. So we just kind of, you know, chiropractor ice, you know, didn't think much of it, except it kept progressively getting worse instead of improving with rest. So finally, after the holidays cleared out, uh, I was beginning of January, he went into the doctor and um, actually they were suspecting it was a gallbladder issue and that it was going to just need to be a simple surgery and then he'd be good to go. And so I didn't even go to the appointment with him because we were so confident that it was really just nothing. And so I'm at home and I was like taking longer than I thought it was. And I was getting kind of annoyed because I had stuff I wanted to do and I was kind of waiting on him. And so he called later and I kind of answered the phone like, hello, where have you been? And he was super somber and just said, um, you know, I just did the ultrasound to confirm it was my gallbladder and they think it's you know, I think it's Hodgkin's lymphoma or testicular cancer, and they're going to call me for some back for some additional testing and everything froze. I mean, it was like life was moving in slow motion and I, I just was shocked and I said, I'll be right there. So I got the kids taken care of and I was on my way to the clinic to meet him. And I met him as he was coming out of his uh, appointment. And as soon as he got in the car, Uh, his phone rang and it was his doctor calling with the results of the test already. And so they did indeed confirm it was testicular cancer. And so we did a bunch of testing and blood work and scans the rest of the day to sort of determine the staging, which was stage four. So typically testicular cancer is pretty treatable, pretty easy to cure. They've got a really tried and true method that they've used for years and years. And so they haven't messed with it much. And um, so that's where we started. with surgery first and then thrown into some really intensive treatment shortly after. I mean, talk about going from a regular day to just world toppled over on you. I mean, it's crazy. and if I'm not mistaken, you had a run in with the horrible C word yourself yeah. Yeah. before this. Yeah, it was that was in 2011 actually and it's really bizarre 
which most of these situations are, you know, because I was probably 25 at the time. And I was actually uh, thought I was, well, we were trying to have a second baby. We had um, Dawson, who at the time was like one and a half, and we were trying to have a second child. So I'd had a miscarriage uh, that spring, and it turned, well, I, and looking back now, it was just, it was botched how it was handled my, um, to make sure that I was like my follow-up care was just sort of dropped and I didn't know any differently, unfortunately, not to pass the blame on anybody. I just didn't know. Uh, and so it was in spring and then middle of the summer, I woke up in excruciating pain. Um, I, and I thought I maybe ate something bad and just had a bad stomach ache, but again, it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And so we went to the emergency room and after a series of tests, lots of time there, uh, they had determined that my miscarriage was actually an un, uh, detected ectopic pregnancy. And so it was like this random grouping of cells that kind of went bonkers, all the doctors kept saying, which is basically what cancer is. It's like cells that went crazy in a sort of unexplainable way. And so um, my tube had ruptured. And so because my tube had ruptured, I needed to go in and have emergency surgery to have it removed. And then uh, a couple of days after that, I was recovering at home uh, and I got a call from the doctor on a Saturday afternoon, which also not a good sign. And so I didn't even know they were testing what they removed from me. Like, I didn't even know this was like in the language of what we would be discussing. And so she calls and, you know, like so abruptly says, oh, hey, by the way, we tested what we took out and you have cancer. You'll be at the oncologist on Monday for staging and you know treatment plans like what like how is this even possible like i was just trying to have a baby mm -hmm. so it's like one in a billion chance um but yeah so so unfortunately it was like a very familiar space for us which in some backwards ways was very um comforting i guess because the you know the waiting rooms were familiar the language the doctor speak the appointments and testing and numbers, you know, we'd kind of already followed once before, but it was definitely bizarre for both of us to found ourselves in that kind of a clinic, you know, before the age of 31. So, yeah. yeah. And did you feel that because your diagnosis, you went through treatments and mm -hmm. are all good, you had another baby, did you feel like that guided you guys to be really optimistic when Darren was diagnosed that you've been through this? you can do this or was it a totally different ball game? That's a great question. I feel like just by nature, Darren and I are both pretty optimistic people. And so we've always been that way. And then I also feel like there's probably, I mean, everybody's got a little bit of, you know, naiveness to them that mm -hmm. some of that was shook in, or sh was shook when I was diagnosed, but it also really grounded us to this really fresh perspective on just being in the moment and not taking things for granted. I mean, by no means do we have an extravagant life, but we were here for it and we, and we, we were present and we showed up. And so that kind of carried us through, but yeah, I would definitely say, you know, having gone through that process myself, we were optimistic. And especially because the doctors kept talking about how treatable of a, of a cancer this was. I mean, they almost talked about thinking about it, that mine was more fluky or going to be more difficult or or uncontrollable in some ways, or maybe they were just being more guarded with their language. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely for sure thought it was like beatable. And Darren f was a personal trainer and kind of had this presence about him that sort of seemed superhero-ish. Mm -hmm. And so I just sort of had a lot of faith in that, that like, of course, nothing would happen to this man. Like, 
there, there would never be, he's like untouchable, you know, he's a healthy personal trainer, positive, happy guy. Like, of course he'll be spared. Which is so devastating after he was diagnosed. So I assume he stayed really motivated and positive in the beginning of treatment. At what point throughout his treatment did things either get better or then start to decline? And how did that change his optimism about it or not really? He stayed strong. He fought for about 15 months and he did not complain one time. Not oh even gosh. in the privacy of our own home, in our private moments, not one time. And I even complained. I mean, of course, I mean, yeah. not not a lot, but um, I mean, there was just moments where I couldn't help it. I just couldn't, you know, hold that back. And I just was really honest about how I was feeling and how frustrated I was. Just, I mean, being a caretaker is really difficult. Obviously, what he was going through was difficult too. But um, yeah, he did not complain one time. He was one of those people, I don't know if you know anybody like this, but it's almost as if he had this belief that if something was spoken, it would take root. And mm-hmm. so I really believe that he thought that if, if he complained out loud, it would take root and it would come back 10 times worse in whatever way he was complaining. Um, so he did uh, treatment for the four months and it was insane. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the most aggressive treatment um, regimens, but it's worked that they don't want to mess with it and who would want to. And so we pretty much thought we were in the clear after that, um, not to get too technical, but his numbers were out of control, like in his, in his um, blood. So obviously it's uh, testicular cancer is a hormone related cancer. And so it affects your hormone levels in your blood. So that's how they test your levels and the staging. And if the treatment's working is through a blood test and then eventually scans, but that's how they would monitor it weekly. And so his, his levels were, through the roof, like 77,000 and they're supposed to be zero. We got them down to seven at the end and we sort of figured, oh good, it'll just continue to diminish. And so we came back later for his six week checkup and his numbers jumped back up. And so that was um, about six months after he'd been diagnosed initially. And so then we really started some much more aggressive treatment options um, after that. And but still he remained positive throughout all of it. And as you being the caretaker and then receiving the news, when you get those calls that it's not working as well as we pleased or the numbers are back up, I don't know what I would personally do in those moments because you'd probably just want to scream and cry. And did you feel like you had to stay strong for him or was he almost your shoulder to cry on in those moments? Mm, Probably a little bit of both, Mm -hmm. but I would say – it felt like we always got bad news. We never got good news. And I I equated it to feeling like you were in a fight and you just got the wind knocked out of you. And it just takes like a moment, whether that's like a couple minutes, a couple hours, a couple days where you are just disoriented and you can't process and think. And then after that time has passed, you can sort of regain your vision and your your grounding and your balance. And then you're like, okay, like what what are we going to do now? I felt like when you're a caretaker, you're 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 a gatekeeper, you're you're a mouthpiece, and you. I took that really seriously, and so I didn't want him to be explaining what he had going on because it's exhausting, yeah. and so I took that kind of on for him. And so in that, in doing so, I felt 
there was a certain amount of composure I needed to maintain. Not that I was lying by any means, but I wanted to be protective of him. And also, I mean, we have two young kids. And so I wanted them, I mean, they knew that dad was sick and things were going on. I mean, we certainly kept them in the loop on that, but um, our, our method of operation the entire time was optimism for sure. Which is so beautiful because as you said, the gatekeeper, you're not only for your kids, but so many family and friends, I'm sure, just giving the news and not necessarily comforting them, but hoping that they're okay too, because you don't want to just throw that news at them and then see their devastation at the same time. Exactly. How do you keep that all together? Do you have like a friend group, a circle? Mm -hmm. Who is there in those moments to pick you up so that you can hold everyone else up on your shoulders? Yeah, great question. I have, I mean, everybody, I mean, hopefully has an inner circle, which I certainly had too. And so, um, my, our families were great, of course, but, um, my friend, um, Nikki, she's a nurse by profession and it's just like every ounce of her, like life points to this, this like caring, tender hearted type of person. And so she became my go-to for so many things. I mean, obviously to be an advocate and help navigate the medical community is a job in and of itself too. But she just was physically present so much too, just showing up. Um, and so I had a lot of conversations with her and I felt really safe to process with her. Um, my friend Tasha too, same thing. She didn't live in the area, but we spent a lot of time processing on the phone. And uh, I definitely needed to have some outlets too, for sure. There's different people. One of the things that actually was really helpful that Nikki came up with this idea and she came over one night because I was feeling really overwhelmed and you know, everybody, well, not every, lots of people want to help you and you can't, you can't anticipate your need. You don't even know like what day it is. And so for someone to be like, how, um, let me know what you, how I can help. You're like, I don't even, you might as well be speaking a different language to me. Mm-hmm. And so she came over and we broke out the help that I needed into different categories like childcare um, medical meals, errands. And so then we put people into each list that I thought would be helpful. So like if I needed to call someone, a neighbor in the middle of the night to come over and take care of the kids, cause we needed to go to the hospital, like who could I call? If I needed someone to go to Costco or target or whatever for me, like who's, who could do that. And so then she took the list of people we came up with and she let them know, Hey, this is a specific way you can help Becky and her family. And so if you don't hear from her once a week, why don't you reach out in this specific manner and let her know. So that was helpful because it gave people that were helping us guidelines and helped them feel good. And then it gave me great clarity so that I didn't have to spend any brain space thinking like, okay, what do I need and who could help me? And you just don't want to be a burden any more than you already feel like you are. I think that's such a good takeaway for people mm-hmm. for moving forward for any phase of their life to almost compartmentalize the help and manage it as a friend. And then you can be present with Darren and with your family and everything you need. Totally. It was, it was so helpful, the efficiency and just the energy. I mean, I'm so aware of my own energy levels. I'm pretty introverted. And so that's something I'm always kind of keyed into. And so I was really aware of what parts of caretaking were really depleting for me. And so that was one of the ways that really helped too. One of my um, friends, unfortunately lost her son in a car accident about four or five months before Darren passed away. And um, just obviously a heartbreaking to see anyone young pass, but especially when it's tragic and abrupt like that. But she gave me two really good pieces of advice to going through like the grieving process. And so she said, um, when people ask you what you need for help, ask them, um, what do you think I need? 
Um, and so like, uh, let me know, how can I help you? Like, well, how, how would you like to help me? Or, or turning the question around and give them either maybe an awareness of like how difficult of a question that is to answer, or maybe they're like really great at something or they already had something in mind when they asked you. And then the other thing she did was uh, allow your friends to make your friend that's grieving or going through a tricky time to make a game time decision. So if you and I had plans to have coffee on Wednesday, uh, I would say that sounds great. But if you don't mind, just let me make kind of a game time decision that morning. If you wouldn't mind reaching out a couple hours before we're supposed to meet to see if I'm up for it. And so that I thought was brilliant too, because some days you really wanted to be around people. And then other days it was just, oh, I'm just too tired. I didn't sleep well or whatever the reason was. And that was also a really helpful way to protect um, my energy and, and help other people have insight to what I needed to. I love that. I think that's so smart to keep everyone kind of feeling mm -hmm. helpful and useful, but not overwhelming the situation at the same time. Totally. So your friend's son who died instantly, mm -hmm. yours was kind of the opposite though. It was quick. Mm -hmm. You saw the ups and downs. And when you realized there weren't many ups coming back, mm -hmm. How does your life shift, your perspective? How is Darren in those times? How are you and the kids? You know, how do you navigate yeah. what's to come? Great question. I've had a, I've had a few friends lose um, loved ones abruptly. And that is, that is a lot to unpack because it's not only grief, it's trauma. It's, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a lot. And uh, we did have, you know, I guess the, blessing and curse. I don't know how even you want to word it, but of the extra time, I mean, was pretty excruciating to see someone you, you know, love and care for suffer so greatly and just to be completely helpless. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that, call it ignorance, naive, protection, whatever, we really did maintain that he was going to rally up until the last couple of weeks. I mean, when the diagnosis first came, you know, of course, in my mind, I start writing two different storylines, you know, of like, this can go this way, or this can go this way. But I really didn't believe that it was going to end with him not making it through the other side. And through to the very end, we really did maintain belief and faith that he was going to kind of pull through. And with your children, I can't even think about how you handle that, how, what, what happens then? Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, um, obviously I didn't know, um, what to expect because I've never been here before, but if you think about it, I mean, our life started to become undone for those, you know, almost a year and a half. And so there was this slow dissolve of their dad from mm -hmm. his presence in their life. You know, I was, at the sporting events, taking them and picking them up from school. I was doing the homework and the meals and bedtimes. And so it was a really slow transition for them where it wasn't that abrupt, like all of a sudden everything's totally fine. And then all of a sudden everything's completely different. It was this really slow fade, which, you know, like I said, blessing and curse of sort of that, but like the blessing, I guess, if you, I don't even know if you can call it that, but was that really, uh, helped my kids, I believe, in their process of transitioning into a different um, part of the story. Right. And how your beautiful kids now, they mm -hmm. are how old? Dawson's 10 and Lainey's five. Oh my gosh. They're so cute. How do they talk about Darren now in your life? Of Is course. It yeah. Just 
beautiful, positive memories? Yeah. You know, Lainey was pretty young. I mean, she was, right. I think, maybe two when he got diagnosed. Uh, and so her memories are a little bit less, mm -hmm. but Dawson certainly has plenty, you know? And so, yeah, it's definitely, Darren's definitely like in our language and in our conversation. And, um, you know, that's the cool thing about social media. I feel like practically every second of our life was documented. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. uh, that's, that's a fun thing to be able to bring the kids in on different like memories and have, you know, photos or videos to be able to show that too. So. After Darren passed. And you are a single parent. You are, I mean, a widow, even though we don't love to use that word ever. What what did you do? What were your first steps of this new life you were going towards? Yeah. So I remember having a conversation with a friend and I don't, I, I hope people just with this short bit they've listened can understand me well enough to know that I mean really well when I say this. But Darren, when he passed, in a lot of ways, that was the end of my grieving instead of the beginning. And a lot of people were starting at the beginning, which makes sense. You know, they didn't see what's going on in the four walls of our home. And so, you know, I someone told me the phrase like grief and relief. And I just felt like every bit of that. And not that I wasn't sad or didn't have sad moments or hard days, but I was just so like, there was a lightness that I felt that I really wanted to lean into. And I remember I had a friend of mine talking to me and she sort of like gave me permission to feel joy and, and that, you know, you know, obviously we're faithful people and, you know, believe that Darren and you no know, Darren's in, you know, a better place in heaven. And so she's like, that's the thing to be joyful about. Like, yeah, of course we would have written the story differently, but like, that's not a bad outcome for him. Like he wouldn't come back if he, if he got the chance. And so she's like, if you want to live in joy, like live in joy, if that's honorable for you and, and to your family and your kids do it. And, you know, I felt like the kids got me back because I was so split unevenly split and and understandably so and i and but it did feel good to be present and back back with them again and um you know i went on a vacation by myself i went to the um beach i love the ocean it's my happy place and so i went there for like i don't know three or four nights or something and it was the first time i really had space to myself in probably like a year and a half or two years and like, like a thoughtful space like that, you know, I did little breaks and I was reading a book called, um, the rhythm of life by Matthew Kelly. And the theme of that book is about just like living towards your best self, which includes, you know, helping other people in some capacity become their best self that, that he believed to be the most meaningful way of life. And I loved that. I really connected with that. And I remember I, you know, read a little bit of the book, set it down and was walking on the beach. And I thought to myself, like, gosh, the best version of myself, like when, when have I been the best version of Becky? And immediately the thought, the response that came to me was like, right now in this exact moment in time, you are your very best self. Ugh. And I felt guilt immediately because how on earth as a, as a young widow without her significant other obviously in this awkward new phase of life trying to like relearn herself how could that be the best version of myself and then the thought that came back to me was like 
we don't give gifts to people for them to feel guilty. Like the giver of the gift gives that for joy for that person, for them to, to be seen and to be excited and to, to just really know that they're loved and, and they would never want someone to feel guilty for receiving a gift. And so that is how I was supposed to receive Darren's short life was with, with gratitude and no guilt whatsoever, but to use that gift of his short life to really breathe joy and lightness into my life. And, and that gift has allowed me to be free to be by myself because you really weed out the bullshit pretty quickly mm -hmm. <laughs> and things don't hit you or matter the same way that they did before, or things matter more than they did before. But it's a really easy way to put weight to things um, when you're living through a lens like that. And I would have never had this um, best version of myself had it not been for, you know, Darren's short life and that the best way that I could honor him would be able, would be continuing to live up my best self in no guilt associated with that. It's like revealing this whole new self by yourself, but with all the amazing things that he gave you totally. in your time together. Totally. I, I heard this or read this quote about marriage uh, in the last couple of months. And it said something about like, marriage is not two becoming one. It's a whole becoming a half. And I was like, okay, that's very true. But now I am a half trying to become a whole again. Yeah. And that has been like a very awkward and funny and adventurous and life-giving and weird and all of the things. <laughs> fully unchartered waters. 100%. And you know, the thing is with that is I, I talk about that with people a lot. It's like, I am in the middle of like uncharted waters and I can't see land anywhere. And I have no idea what I'm doing. I am like, this is all new, but as terrifying as that is, there's also this grand sense of adventure that comes with that, that it's like, who even knows what I'm going to be doing in six days or six weeks or six years from now, because I thought I was going one way and now I'm clearly not. And so like, gosh, like now what, you know, I've, I've no idea. <laughs> A whole new world. Yeah. Yeah. And probably terrified, but so exciting. Yeah, exactly. I refuse to like let life kick me in the teeth. And I just like, I, I will be damned if I let anything just take anything good from me, you know, anything more good for me. Like I just, I'm, I'm here for it. And I just, I went, I had so much sadness and hardship through that season. And if I can eliminate any of that, not that there won't be that I'm not so naive to think that, but there is a lot of good here. And so I do want to be here for all of it gives you so much perspective yeah, what matters exactly. what doesn't matter what would you give any tips or advice or suggestions for someone who's gone through something absolutely horrible but can't get there yet isn't in the place to fight back for a great life or a great future and just is you know succumbed to sadness and can can't see their way out well, outlets, you've got to have outlets, whether the, and, and, you know, in different areas of life too, you know, whether that's a therapist or working out or a creative outlet or good friends or whatever, you've got to have outlets. You can't let that fester. I just feel like anything that we hold 
like kind of in the shadows is just going to fester like like an open wound and so to get it out into the light i feel like it looks less scary and there there's you know in community even if it's just with one other person there can be some shifts that start to happen so that's one thing the other thing i would say is i think about perspective a lot and so whenever i have like something crappy happen or whatever it's like i just bump out the perspective so it's like well this really sucks but in tomorrow morning when i wake up how's this going to feel and if it still feels like it's probably going to be awful okay well what about a week from now month year 10 years five you know and so it's like yeah this is hard i have hard days i mean this isn't like a magic wand or something that just goes away i much as i would like to like pack it up and put it in a neat and tidy box but you know God willing, 40, 50 years from now, how will I feel about this? And it's going to feel so differently. And the things that maybe feel more pronounced now will be lessened. And the things that maybe feel hidden, like joy or lightness, happiness, it will be more pronounced and uh, memorable. Yeah. And I always feel those people looking down on us and who lost their lives they want to see you live and live for them too and have all the happiness in the world and joy and positivity that you can possibly get for your whole family. So a hundred percent. And you know, I mean, I mean, heaven is like a, a, a amazing reward and you know, there is no sadness, sickness and pain in heaven and they also can't see that. So they can't even see our sadness. And also I always think too, like mm. given the chance, like I know that Darren loves me and the kids and all of us, but like, from what he's seeing and what he's experienced, he would not come back if he was given the chance. Like he's having a party on his own and it's way better than the one I'm having. So like, I'll make the most of the one I've got going on now, knowing that um, he would, you know, do, do and want the same. I love that. I love that. And so for you now, you've taken this horrific moment of time and turned it into so much joy and passion and you guys have this saying that came when Darren was diagnosed I believe mm -hmm. win the day mm -hmm. and tell us a little bit about that and how you chose to take the season of time and make it something so beautiful yeah so Darren's a very forward thinker he always has been he, you know like like decades ahead of like when we retire and we're like 20 years old and like what and he just he just always has kind of been like that and so he uh through this had to really surrender any kind of an outcome you know as goal oriented and as high of an achiever he was some days all he could achieve was taking a shower or walking around the block or some days he could do normal life things it just was different but it was definitely like an hour to hour or minute to minute decision for him and so he had some quiet time one day and was praying and he and he just sort of felt god speak you know win the day to him like it's not about you know winning anything more than just these 24 hours. And also that 24 hours might look completely different and that's okay as long as you, you know, kind of assess what your capabilities are for the day. And then you can go forward and, and do the best you can with what you've got, but that is your primary focus. And so that became his mantra, mantra and sort of like battle cry throughout all of this. And he became a lot more, um, public about sharing that with people and people really connected with it because I think we, it's just refreshing. It takes, it takes pressure off of someone to just think, all I've got is today. I just need to worry about today. And then I'll, the rest will take care of itself. And so a lot of people connected with that and, and grew from there. And so 
we had made some plans to sort of do some speaking and writing and things with Win the Day um, once he was through his treatment and everything. And unfortunately, it never came to fruition, obviously. And I, at the time, just there's no way I could have picked up something like that. And so uh, we had had a health and wellness business that we were coaching together and had been doing for probably like eight or nine years. And this last spring, actually, the company had to do some major restructuring. And so I lost my income um, that we had been working with that business for for 10 years, the residual income, which I had thought had been sort of the legacy that he had left behind for me and the kids. And so as tragic as that was, there was also some freedom in that because, you know, that was more where da Darren's passions lied and not necessarily mine, but I was also happy to support him and help with that and, you know, grew a lot through that personally with different things. And so um, we had a conversation with a friend uh, a couple months before Darren passed away and she had visited us and on her way out the door had said, hey, by the way, I was praying for you guys the other day and I'm supposed to tell you to start Win the Day Productions and like walked out the door and we're like, our minds were just blown. So that's sort of where the idea came from. And then we're like, how do we not see this? So anyways, when things kind of unraveled with this other company this spring, I took the summer to kind of think and um, I had some quiet time one day and I was like, all right, God, <laughs> what are we going to do? And it was like in the conversation of when you're talking with a friend and they're so excited to share something with you when you finally stop talking, they're like, Ugh, you know, and it was like, all right, what's next? And he's like, win the day. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of suppressed that. And I had been wanting to do some speaking and writing um, and coaching kind of on my on my own. And it's like, well, of course, this is a natural fit to, you know, build on a message that so resonates with me and, and so many other people as well. Win the day productions. So where are you taking it? What is happening? This is very exciting. You know, it's been really fun and I'm typically like a perfectionist by nature. And so I am really trying to let go of a lot of that. And I have found a lot of, you know, peace within this, just, which is just affirming of me that this is the lane that I'm supposed to be in. Not to say that I'm not going to like work and just expect things to be handed to me. Like I'm going to do the work and put myself out there, but it feels like what I'm putting out there is being received really well, which just makes me feel like, okay, so this is a lane and there's, there's a need for this. Um, but I'm trying to find like all the fun things that I love to do, like being creative and talking to, people and helping people unpack their stories and um, shift perspectives and, you know, live within 24 hours at a time and, and writing. And so sort of like, how can I put all of these together with under an umbrella of things that I love to do and want to spend time doing that works, you know, within my family parameters and values. And so I really want to connect people that is connection is a really big piece for me. And I feel like isolation is, is can just be sort of like a pretty like dirty word and place to be. And so I want to connect other like-minded people, whether that's like-minded in, you know, their mindset or, or in their, you know, career or whatever that looks like, but, you know, a network of people that want to pursue their best selves, like one day at a time, you know, and I, I, there's this whole kind of cultural piece of like hustle, let's hustle, let's, you know, grind it out. And I'm kind of like, you know what? I don't know that that's really the answer anymore. You know, I mean, there's a phase of my life where I certainly subscribe to that, but now it's more of giving people the space and um, self love and grace to be able to 
you know, learn forward and, and, and figure it out as you move and, and little steps at a time that can add up as long as you keep taking steps forward. That's probably a message I need to hear more than maybe other people. So maybe it's all just for me, but, um, and so anyways, right now that looks like uh, writing and it looks like some speaking and uh, we have some win the day apparel to kind of support the message and it be a reminder for people that just we get 24 hours at a time and you know, how are you gonna make the most out of those? Cause forward thinking and planning is good, but if we don't shift the perspective to daily, what's the point? Like in five years when you reach your goals, if you completely, you know, overlooked or were so caught up in the future that you missed what is happening right now. Right in front of your face. Yeah. So I've got some different ideas and things we'll explore and we'll just like see what happens, but kind of like little tester things. I really see when the day is being sort of like an educational company, if I can even, that's even like a thing, Um, but to do like some online classes to just help people learn more about themselves, kind of their super strength, superhero strengths, and what makes them unique and how they can apply that in a, in a daily manner moving forward. Uh, so we'll we'll see. Those are kind of the things rolling, you know, for now. I think that's so exciting. You just mentioned superhero strengths, yeah. and you also referenced Darren as almost a superhero in the beginning or had these Superman strengths. What was Darren's Superman strength or superhero strength, do you believe? And what is your Mm. superhero strength? Yeah, so I would say that Darren's superhero strength was that he knew no stranger. I like always joked with him that he was like always in a parade because driving in the car with this man was ridiculous. It was just like the parade wave all day long. Like roll roll down the window, yelling at people. Like anytime we try to leave a store or go anywhere, like it took like forever, you know, and, and I'm just wired so differently than that. And so it takes more, you know, effort or energy for me to probably do that. But he just had the ability to make people feel like they were known within, you know, just like a couple minute conversation and, and to and to feel like they had a friend for life. So he was really, really great at that. Uh my superhero strength. Oh man. I wish it was cleaning my house. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't care about that. Um no, I would say I really like the word improver, but not in like a pressure filled kind of way. Like, like I need to constantly be improving, but in the, in the way of what can I lean into to just do a little bit better, you know, or, or how can this, how can this quality of mine be improved just to, just a touch or this system or this approach, or how could this just be a little more kind, you know, or, and just kind of seeing patterns within that I would say would be would be mine maybe I don't know I love that (laughs) and giving yourself and people space to find their best selves and to find joy and all these good things yeah but flying would be cool (laughs) (laughs) flying would be cool too teleportation yeah (laughs) I love that um two more things so your company it's like an unknown just exciting adventure you're just starting which I can't even imagine the feelings behind it you have involved your kiddos in on it with you they are a part of it tell us a little bit about how they win the day every day how they help you with it how you guys work as a family and how you guys see it all going forward totally now this is the coolest thing for me 
the part of this. So, so we just did a pre-order for two weeks for the win the day shop and the kids helped me pick out different colored t-shirts and things like that. And so I had Dawson in the office with me and he was going through the like inventory list. And then I was, he was reading it off and I was double checking somewhere. And so we were, he's like, I don't want to do this, whatever. And I was like, dude, we're building something that you're going to take over someday. So you should start, you know, like, like this is important stuff for you to know. And he like looked at me, he's like, really? I was like, yes. So then after we went through this inventory of everything, he was like, that's kind of cool. I was like, good. I'm glad that you think so. Um, so I would say the kids are gifted very differently. Um, obviously, as most families, you know, I have different personalities within their kids. So Dawson, I'm sitting here looking at this sheet on my piece of paper or this uh, that he wrote, which actually you would probably find interesting. This is kindness queen. Um, so he comes to me, he, he just, his brain, how it works is unbelievable to me. So he comes to me the other day and he's like, you know what, mom? Cause I told him he's responsible for, I mean, like in a loving way uh, to uh, contribute um, content to the blog. Aww. And he loves doing Facebook lives too. He'll like ask me to do them and stuff. I mean, I'm not the one that's saying that. So he comes up to me and he's like, mom, I've got an idea for the next blog post I want to do. I was like, all right, cool. What do you got, dude? He's like, I'm going to do an acrostic poem about kindness. And I was like, okay, cool. So I was like, all right, well, why don't you write it out? And I had to go do some things and like, I'll come back. And so I came back and he has this written down. Actually, he texted me a little picture of it. And it's so cute. Like I didn't do any of this. So the kindness. So K is knowing your surroundings. I is initiative. N is noticer. D is determined. N is not afraid to dig deep. E is encouraging. S is self-confidence. And S is sadness cop mode on which that means you look for people who are sad that you need to be kind to so it was like 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 a lens of way to like look at life right like and I was like where do you come up with this stuff and so my job as a parent I believe as a mom is to like okay this is clearly your insight and how you process the world is clearly a gift and your superpower and so as a mom how can I pour belief into that now as a 10 year old so that by the time you're 30 or whatever, that you like know no limits, that, that your belief system is like, I can do whatever I whatever I want to do or I'm called to do and there's no limits or boundaries because the simplicity that a 10 year old can bring to a perspective, I think is what as adults we all need. We're all trying to unlearn a lot of the complicated things that we've carried with us and so, his mind is just brilliant. And so, yeah, really encouraging him with like writing and to keep processing different ideas that way. Uh, and uh, I love, we'll do like little kind of Q and A sessions on Facebook lives and stuff too. And just hearing him process, which those are totally unrehearsed by the way, because he's like, mom, let's do Facebook live. Like right now, right now, right, right now. I need to do it now. I mean, you're a mom, you know how that goes. I'm like, okay, guess we're just going to wing this one. And it's like, it's, he's so eloquent when he speaks. So that's fun. Um, and Lainey, she's a little more reserved. She's not, I mean, obviously she can't be like writing blog posts quite yet because she's fine. Um, <laughs> But she doesn't like necessarily the spotlight and to be, you know, center stage like that. But our next uh, thing that we're going to do with her, my sister-in-law is an incredibly talented calligraphist. And so Lainey was, is like, loves art. That is her jam. It's her happy place. So when we reopen the store back up in January, um, she's going to do some watercolors. And then my sister-in-law is going to do some calligraphy over them, like little cards or sayings or quotes or whatever. And so that'll be like a fun collaboration for her to just have her gifts um, be used for something um, bigger and for her to see the impact that her gifts have too, even though they look different than Dawson's and are maybe a little more 
uh, private or internal, but that she could still use those to help other people too. That's so beautiful. And you are encouraging that the whole way. I mean, Dawson needs his blog post shared on our site, ASAP. (laughs) (laughs) He can be a guest blogger here too. Yeah. And Lainey can help us with the designs. I mean, we're down with that. (laughs) That's good. That's so beautiful. I mean, it's amazing how much kids, it really is amazing how they think about things, how they then speak them out into the world and that you're documenting it along the way because like you said, we lose that sense of childhood as we become adults and things get so clouded and Mm -hmm. confusing and we just stop thinking of how simple some things can really be and how much that makes the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. 100% agree. Oh, I think that's amazing. So clearly your kids are joyful, amazing little humans that are going to change the world, of course. We believe that joy loves company too at every kind. And it's so easy for people to say misery loves company, misery loves company and jump on that you know, sadness, negative place and argumentative place. So how can we leave today having perspective of how can we be joyful? How can we live our 24 hours and win the day with joy? What is your ultimate tip for everyone? Mm. I mean, we get one shot at this Mm. and at Darren services, the pastor got up, our friend Rick, and said, you know, I know how many days that you have left in your life. What what would you give me to look into a crystal ball and tell you how many days you have left? And he goes, the answer is one. And if life ends tomorrow for you, how do you want this day to, to, to be spent? And I know we've talked about that, like, if this is your last day on earth, like, you know, mm-hmm. but really, like there's, there's one shot. And so if you have the privilege to look back a week from now or 10 years from now, will you be pleased with how you spent your season or that day and, and what those can accumulate to given the opportunity for your days to accumulate? And, you know, I used to be a, a I'm a recovering perfectionist, I sort of joke about, but sort of serious. Like, and I just feel like that's really been broken open in me because I am doing so many things new and in a different spaces that I can't imagine I would have stepped into. But all that to be said, the lightness that has come from the surrender of worrying about tomorrow as much as possible and just being in this moment and winning this day and picking one or two things today that I can focus on or really like be in on, it has made all the difference for me. And so that would just be my encouragement for other people is as much as you can really try to live out today like it is it is your last and, and the accumulative effect of that can really be something amazing given the space. But if not, you know, be here for it now because that's what's going that's on. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Becky. I know everyone is going to be inspired to go and win the day today. Well, thank you. I certainly hope so. (laughs) Thank you, guys. We will be here next week with another podcast for you. And go follow Becky at WinTheDayPro on Instagram and her website, WinTheDayPro.com, and see all the good stuff she has to offer bringing joy to our world. Thank you, Becky. Thank you.